The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Welcome to your afternoon. It's Rob Port 970 WDOA AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We, uh, it was a busy morning for me, Eric, in uh, political news. Got a lot of stuff coming out. Is it like something that we know about already, or is it something that you? Have uh, well, I mean, it's 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 polling and uh, it's polling, and then we got you know the pre-primary reports in, which are kind of interesting um, for the federal candidates. Uh, so a lot of interesting stuff going on. Plus, there's a Biz, Bismarck. Uh, there's a, a mayor of Bismarck, Mike Seminary. He's up for re-election, facing two opponents. Um, kind of pulled a pulled a bonehead move. We'll talk about that as well. Um, the first bit of polling, we've got more polling in the morning consult poll. Now, we'll talk about it later in the show because at 1 o'clock, Cameron Easley, he's a uh, senior reporter for morning consult. He's going to come on and talk about their polling. Uh, but the numbers are uh, not good for Senator Heitkamp. Now, we've we've talked about this poll before. This is the one where I've, I've talked about she was at 60% approval back in July of last year. Um, the latest polling today, uh, she's at 44% approval but but the which which actually is unchanged from last month because they used to do this polling quarterly now i guess that we're in the election year uh they're doing it monthly they've started doing it monthly starting in april um her approval number the number of people, north dakota and say that they approved her it didn't change at all that's a 44 percent. but her disapproved number went up to 45 percent. she's now at a negative one approval index um and I, I mean, any in any one poll, you could say, well, it's margin of error, it's plus or minus this, whatever. Uh, well, this is a trend. Her, uh, her her approval number has gone from about disapproved number have gone has gone from about twenty eight percent up to forty five percent, forty four percent approved, negative one overall approval number, and this is the most devastating number, I think. The number of North Dakotans who think the senator deserves reelection has edged up. It's now at 50% saying that it's time for a new person. Just 36% say Senator Heitkamp deserves re-election. Mm. Um, not good numbers, but we'll talk more about that with Morning Consult coming up here at 1 o'clock. Um, now, again, this is one poll. We're still, you know, long elections not till November. We're a long ways away. There's a ton of money that's going to be spent. These races can move very quickly. But this poll, this the trend in this poll is not good for the senator. We'll just put it that way. Um, we also have polling, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about this right now. I have uh, uh, Kelly Armstrong. I think uh, we had uh, Mac Schneider on, what was it, last week? Anyway, we'll have Ke- Kelly Armstrong on Friday. Um, his campaign has released polling. Now, you know, anytime uh, we have a situation where the candidate themselves are release- is, is releasing polling, we need to, um, you know, put a caveat on that. The campaign, the Armstrong campaign itself, commissioned this polling now what's interesting about this polling is that it shows kelly armstrong and the way they did this poll is that they pitted head to head and by the way the morning consult polling that i'm talking about congressman kramer wasn't included in that all morning consult has been doing is pulling the approval numbers of incumbents in battleground states uh, north dakota is certainly a battleground state in in the senate race 
Uh, so for whatever reason, they don't give us any polling on Congressman Kramer. I wish they did. They didn't. I guess that's their choice. This one, though, is a head-to-head poll. And in this head-to-head poll, again, commissioned by the Armstrong campaign, so take it with a grain of salt, um, they're showing uh, 48% saying that they are either definitely voting for Kelly Armstrong or probably leaning towards Kelly Armstrong versus 26% for Schneider. Um, now, 34% say that they're definitely voting for Armstrong. That's versus 16% uh, who say that they're voting for uh, Schneider. 26% total undecided. Now, this was uh, a survey of 509 general election voters in North Dakota from May 13th through 14th. So, relatively recent poll uh, conducted last month. It's got a margin of error plus or minus 4.47%. Obviously, showing a big, big lead for Kelly Armstrong in that poll. Now, what I think is really interesting, almost more interesting, I think, than the top-level numbers, Eric, is what this polling says about Donald Trump. According to the poll, it shows about sixty, about a 60% favorable rating. Those are people who are somewhat or very favorable towards Donald Trump. 60%. With 59% of people saying that they're definitely voting in, uh, excuse me, 59% of people who say they're definitely voting in November saying they're more likely to vote for a candidate who supports Trump's agenda. Now, Eric, I totally buy into those numbers, and you know why? Mm, nope. Because de- the way Democrats are behaving, I think they believe those numbers too. Oh, and I think anytime yeah. you have Republicans and Democrats both you know, behaving in a way, I, I, I think it's probably something that's, that's true. I mean, that tells me that the Democrats probably have internal polling as well, showing numbers similar to these. I mean, that's why Heidi Heitkamp's out aligning herself with President Trump. She's bragging about how often she votes with President Trump. The North Dakota Democratic Party's making fun of Kevin Kramer because Heidi Heitkamp got to stand close to, the Donald, Trump, to Donald Trump at a bill signing. Just yesterday, there was a uh, a story published about the uh, you know the, the whole trade thing and everything else, and and Max Schneider coming out and saying uh, you know uh, that President Trump's putting us at risk of a trade war and everything else. But yet, even even in that context, where Schneider's being a little critical of President Trump, even in that context, he adds this caveat. I quote from April Bongarten's story, which I have linked at sayanythingblog.com. Schneider says, "I quote: I'm not running against President Trump. I'm running for North Dakota." Now, Eric, do you think Democrats would be tiptoeing around Trump like that if those poll numbers showing 60% favorable of, of Trump weren't true? No. And you and I talked about this before, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, no matter what. If, as long as you have a good quality candidate on the Republican side, Heidi Heitkamp is going to face a tough task because the state is predominantly Republican. So not only does she have to keep pretty much every Democrat, but she's got to swing a fair portion of Republicans to come over. And as you and I know, that's tough to do in this political world because we're so polarized. I think what Senator Heitkamp's going to have to do is she's going to have to make this race very, very personal. I think I think that's where she's going to have to go because nothing. I, I don't think anything else wins for her. Right, she can't campaign on her partisan affiliation, and just say I'm the Democrat in the race. I'm the liberal. I'll I'll vote that way. I'll I'll go and support the Democratic agenda, or I'll go and support you know Hillary Clinton's agenda. Hillary Clinton's obviously not in office, but I mean she can't do any of that. Even if Hillary Clinton was in office, Hillary Clinton wasn't gonna ever gonna win in North Dakota. She didn't get thirty percent of the vote in North Dakota. So Heidi can't do any of that. In fact, she has to distance herself from her party. She she can't really broadcast her even though everybody knows she's a democrat she really can't tout her party so she can't do that none of that works the ideology stuff the partisan affiliation stuff none of that stuff works for her the issues i don't think work for her i think she can highlight certain issues 
right? Like, uh, it's certainly she, she's put a lot of work into talking about lifting the oil export ban, which, you know, to be fair to her, she did support. Um, but I don't know that a lot of the issues work for her. So I, I think what's going to work for her, what she's going to try to make work for her is to make this about personalities. Because I think that's always been her strong suit, right? As a matter of fact, Eric, and I had a lot of Republicans complaining to me about this. Did you notice something interesting on, in that, that television ad that Kramer released and where he's hitting Senator Heitkamp on, um, hitting Senator Heitkamp on tax reform? Did you notice something interesting that he said right at the end? Yeah. I, I, I like, uh, everybody likes Heidi. Heidi. Everybody likes Heidi. Yeah. And everybody actually, likes Heidi, but she went the wrong way. Oh, yeah. I was. Yeah. So is there there a message? I mean, I'm I'm maybe missing there. I kind of get it, but is there a hidden message that's a little bit stronger, or is it just? I don't know that there's a hidden message. I think it's an acknowledgement that Senator Heitkamp is well liked in North Dakota, just on a personal level. But Senator Heitkamp's personality is her strong suit. I think I think that that is the go-to thing that get it's sort of her get out of jail free card. You know, because her party affiliation, I think, frankly, is a liability in North Dakota. Just on on the statewide ballot, being a Democrat in North Dakota in this political environment is a liability. Something that she has to overcome. I think I think her national party agenda is a liability. I think a lot of her votes are are, are further to the left than most North Dakotans would want. So her big get it out of jail free card is her personality, right? And I I think her campaign messaging, even that that battery acid ad that she came out with, right, is about her personality, right? She's this she's this happy warrior this likable figure who's going to, to Washington, D.C., and she's burning them like battery acid on behalf of North Dakota. That's That all speaks to her personality. And so I think even Kramer, now we can we can have a debate about whether this is a good tactic or not. I think that's even Kramer nodding. He says, I'm not making it personal. It's not personal about Heidi. Heidi's a nice guy. Everybody likes Heidi, is what Kevin says in his own campaign ad. But... You know, so I, I think that's where Heitkamp's got to go. She's got to make it about personality. She's going to have to make people hate Kevin Kramer. Right. He's got, he's got to make a mistake. He's got to make a misstep or misspeak at times. And we know Kevin to be pretty mainstream, obviously a big Trump supporter. But occasionally he'll, he'll put his foot in his mouth. He'll put his foot in his mouth. Yeah. And that's what Heidi's got to hope for. because He did he, recently with the Will Gardner thing. I mean, the, the, what, he, what he said about Will Gardner, oh, he's a good man. You know, maybe there's a path for redemption there what are you saying kevin what are you saying there's no room to to defend a peeping tom so i'm missing this is there some sort of hidden thing that they're trying to get will back into this race or what why am i hearing some republican op- operatives or people all of a sudden kind of putting that well he should be forgiven what does it matter now i mean he's out so or we think he's out yeah um i you know i think some of it is um you know certainly certainly talk radio host scott hennon had uh and I, he's got a personal relationship with will gardner i know will gardner's done some work for him in the past and so i feel like that's some level of personal loyalty i also think because a big part of will gardner was there was a big there was a, a faction of republicans that were behind will gardner that were pushing him as as sort of and they, they saw him beating al jagger at the convention as sort of a win for whatever you want to call that faction of the Republican Party, over the quote-unquote establishment, right? Will Gardner was was supposedly an anti-establishment candidate. And so that makes him sort of in that that Trump realm, right? And so what do we know about Trump? Trump, you know, sort of that Trump wing of the party is they are willing, I, I think, to go to bat for their people even when they've they've clearly objectively done something wrong. 
And I think it's just sort of that instinct. Like Gardner was seen as anti-establishment. Gardner was seen as defeating a long-term incumbent who a lot of people in the party were critical of. Me included, by the way. I've been very critical of Al Jagger over the years. Um, and so they, they saw, and w- when they saw Gardner, you know, go down in flames, you know, they sort of reflexively lash out at the media. They reflexively lash out at the establishment. And I think there is some appetite in that group to try to rehabilitate Gardner in some way, especially because his name's still on the primary ballot. And so to maybe, now I don't think it's going to happen by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I fully expect Gardner. But the thing is, is Gardner's going to win the primary ballot by default. He's the only name in that, on the Secretary of State race uh, on the primary ballot. So he can, he's going to win by default. And I, I think, I think what the fear is, is that he won't concede. And then he'll put his name on the general election ballot, which would then obviously be a big confusion because now you have Al Jagger on the statewide ballot as an independent. You have Max Schneider as a Democrat. You have Roland Reimers as the Libertarian and Will Gardner as the Republican. And the dynamics of that race do not necessarily work for Republicans who want to see Jagger get elected. Um, so some of that, some of that is just sort of the anti-establishment wing of the Republican Party, um, you know, still out to get theirs, which I, which I don't understand. I mean, I understand you want to be anti-establishment, whatever. You don't like Al Jagger, whatever. I get all of that. But there is a point at which a candidate does something that's just not redeemable anymore. And I think Will Gardner does it, has no place in public office, should be out of public office. So anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to keep talking about these numbers. we got some fundraising numbers in the House race as well, plus your phone calls. you got any questions, comments, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM talking about all the news in our uh, federal races. Coming up here at 1 o'clock, we're going to talk about that morning consult poll with a reporter from Morning Consult uh, regarding uh, Senator Heidi Heitkamp uh, and her declining uh, well, declining approval numbers. It's not good. I, I will point out, and I think this is fair to point out, there is a little bit of um, disagreement between, because we have two two sets of polling out today. We have morning consult poll, which is basically approved, disapproved, numbers for senator heitkamp specifically then we have a head-to-head poll released by the armstrong campaign for the u.s house race showing armstrong with a big lead over uh over uh state senator mac former state senator mac schneider there is a difference though because in the armstrong poll they're showing uh about 60 percent approval for donald trump now i i believe that based on the way democrats are acting i don't think if, if if trump has a much lower level of approval then Senator Heitkamp, I think, is behaving very differently and isn't bragging about how close she got to stand next to Donald Trump at a bill signing. So the problem is you, you go to Morning Consult, their numbers, their approval numbers actually show uh, Donald Trump uh, underwater in terms of his net approval rating. I think he's like two or three points underwater. So Morning Consult, very different view of, of Donald Trump. And so you have a disparity between those two polls, which maybe calls the other results, and I don't know. I mean, it's all reading tea leaves, Eric. I mean, y- you can't hang your hat on any of this polling. Nope, and uh, we all know what the presidential polling last, uh, was it, two years ago now, what that looked like, and kind of turned out differently. So, I think all you can do is you try to accumulate as many data points as you can, and you try to apply some consistent logic to them. Right. Um, I think and, the and other you just do your best. The only other question I have is so this morning consult uh, poll that they have. Yeah. So they do they talk about where the the specific uh, numbers came from in the state of North Dakota? I mean, they're not calling 
you know, a, a bunch of Western portion of the state, because I, I think you're obviously going to find more Democratic supporters here in, in Fargo and Grand Forks. Right. And, and vice versa. I mean, if you also if you oversample the Red River Valley, you're going to you're going to skew it towards right. um, Democrats. So, uh, yes, they do have their methodology. It's actually uh, an online poll. And, um, and and the thing about this, too, I mean, one thing uh, before we even talk about the methodology, um, we basically. There's a trend here. You know what I mean? Their methodology methodology is consistent. So wherever the actual numbers are in any given poll, the trend over the course, I mean, we're, we're talking about six or seven polls now since July, consistently with this methodology have shown Senator Heitkamp declining. That, to me, that trend line is a lot more important than the numbers itself. It, it just shows down arrow. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. Now, the way they do these uh, is essentially they, they do a rolling poll um, they survey voters across all 50 states on their elected officials, voting preferences and more. Um, and I'm, I'm reading from their methodology here. Uh, the surveys uh, take a three-month rolling averages for each data set. For example, the most recent data set, May, comes to the results of surveys taken March 1st through May 30th. Um, they approximate a target sample of voters uh, based on age, race, ethnicity, gender, educational attainment, and region. So they do try to control it for region to make sure that the respondents rec- you know, represent the population disbursement across the state. You know, Obviously, there's more voters in the Red River Valley. You're going to want to sample more people from the Red River Valley than, say, the western part of the state. There's just more voters there. So, yeah, they do take that into account. But, you know, again, and, and this is, I mean, Morning Consult does, does it online. Now, it's not... You know, like one of those Facebook things where you're trying to figure out which superhero you're the most like. It's a little more sophisticated than that. But it is online versus the Armstrong poll, which is a call-in poll. So all of this stuff is important. Um, the other thing that's interesting, because the arms, it, it was interesting because this morning I was writing a post about the fundraising in the U.S. House race. And I'm going to write a post about the fundraising in the Senate race, too. I just ran out of time before showtime, so I'll get that up this afternoon. Um, but as I was writing, they, they dropped the, uh, their, their polling memo on me while I was writing the, um, the post about fundraising in the U S house race and Armstrong's got a big lead over Schneider right now. And I think that's going to be important because these federal races in North Dakota are going to take a lot of oxygen out of the room. This, you know, the, the Senate race in particular, I mean, you've got two candidates. They're both going to have millions of dollars. You're going to see millions of dollars in uh you know third party groups spending in the state that's going to you know drive down the availability of of mediums through which you, these campaigns can get out their messages and it's also going to increase the cost for advertising on those mediums so i think in the house race in particular fundraising is going to be important because getting your message out is going to be expensive now according to the fec they had to file a pre-primary report so this is reporting through may 23rd um, Armstrong reported raising over $928,000. That compares to $224,000 for Max Schneider. Um, now, of that $928,000 Armstrong reported, about $300,000 is a loan he made to himself. But even if we take that out of the equation, just on money he's raised from individuals and organizations, uh, Armstrong nearly tripled Schneider's take. Uh, I also did the in-state versus out-of-state calculations um and uh armstrong schneider actually getting a, which is atypical for north dakota democrats actually getting a little bit more of his uh, as a percentage more of his money from out of state 
than Armstrong did. He's at about 71% from in-state, excuse me, uh, versus about 66% from Armstrong. But both of those candidates getting most of their money from in-state. I'll do all the numbers uh, in the Senate race uh, after the show. You can check out sayanythingblog.com for that. But anyway, I mean, that's that's all the uh, all the latest news in the federal races in North Dakota. And like I said, at 1 o'clock, we'll talk more about this morning consult poll. More to come straight ahead, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna switch gears. We're gonna talk. Uh, something interesting happened in the Bismarck mayoral race, and I, I maybe you don't care what's happening in the Bismarck mayoral race, but I I think it's interesting because it's an abuse of power today. In an editorial today, the Bismarck Tribune said that uh, Bismarck Mayor Mike Seminary, who's up for re-election this year, he's facing two opponents. Uh, that his use of an official city press release disseminated through all of the city's official channels to compliment himself on budgeting just roughly a week before the election was wrong. Uh, that's that's what the, uh, the the editorial of the Bismarck Tribune said today. Now, I would actually go so, a little bit further th- than the um, what, what the Tribune editorializes. Uh, and by the way, this is what they say. I quote, the Tribune believes this was an error. Here, let's, let's read the whole thing. Uh, Mayor Mike Seminary suffered a lapse in judgment when he had city officials issue a press release about the city budget. The release was worded like campaign literature, touting the city's, i.e. seminary's, accomplishments. Uh, The release was sent Monday using the city's email address, letterhead, and mailing list, and it was also posted online using the city's social media platforms. Uh, The the Tribune believes this was an unfair use of city resources by a political candidate. Now, I agree with them. I think that absolutely was an unfair use. Of city resources, and I think it's I think it's an, an indication that somebody may be getting a little bit too comfortable in public office because we give the people in public office uh, the ability to use government power, and when they start using government power in self-serving ways, we got a problem. I think Mike Seminary absolutely did this in Bismarck, and the Tribune I think even missed one of the most important parts of the story that was in their own paper, uh, in their own paper's report the day previous. Here's what Tribune reporter Cheryl Cormack wrote in her article yesterday. She wrote, I quote, we'll be going into the, or excuse me, I'm sorry, this isn't the part. This is the part. Cheryl McCormack wrote, I quote, in his four years as mayor, Seminary says he's never directed city staff to send out a similar release prior to or during the budget cycle. Now, Seminary's defense of this was, well, we're going to be going into the budget process, and I felt it was important, uh, and given that I'd had previous conversations with the, the city manager about cuts and efficiencies uh, to get this information out in advance of our meeting. So basically saying, well, we have the budget process coming up, so we wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of this information before the budget hearing. Now, that might be defensible if this was something he did when he wasn't up for re-election, but Mike Seminary's been in office for going on four years now. By the time he finishes his current term in office, he'll have been in office for four years. That means he's been through budget cycles in previous years, and they've never sent this press release out before. Now we're about a week out from Election Day, and all of a sudden this press release goes out. Now I think that's, I think that's an unfortunate use of government power. And I think, and I wrote a post about this, and I said when people invested with the power of government lose sense on how to appropriately weed that power, wield that power, it's time to take that power away from them. 
Now, what's interesting, and I wasn't I wasn't even aware that this had happened, but something similar happened in Fargo as well. And uh, Eric, I teased that I was going to talk a little bit about Mike Seminary before the show, and um, we got an email during one of the breaks from Linda Boyd, who is obviously one of the candidates for the Fargo City Commission. And she says, hi, Rob, how is this any different than what Mayor Seminary did? Tony was representing his own opinion and campaign theme, not the view of the entire commission. Now, she links to a a press release sent out by Commissioner Tony Gehrig, stated May 31st, 2018. Uh, The headline is, Commissioner Gehrig offers response to the Fargo-Moorhead West Fargo Chamber of Commerce's support of special assessments. So essentially, you know, special assessments have been a big part of the Fargo City Commission race. And I think Commissioner Garrick deserves a lot of credit for identifying that issue as something a lot of people care about. And, I mean, you look at how quickly other candidates move to adopt their own plans for special assessments, how the Fargo City Commission itself, uh, you know, moved right away to, to roll back the share that, that property owners pay of special assessments. Um, Garrick obviously, I think, hit one out of the park with that issue. But I also think Linda Boyd probably brings up a fair point. Why is Commissioner Gehrig responding to the Fargo-Moorhead West Fargo, uh, the Fargo-Moorhead West Fargo Chamber of Commerce's criticism of his plan to get rid of special assessments? Why is he responding to that through an official city channel? Now, whatever you think of the special assessments issue, whatever you think of Commissioner Gehrig as a as a leader, and I, I happen to think he's a pretty good one. Is that an appropriate use of, use of taxpayer resources? Now, I don't think it was appropriate when Mayor Seminary did it. He basically did the same thing. We're about a week out from election. He's been criticized by his opponents for handling of the budget. All of a sudden, the city office sends out a press release that reads like a campaign release touting all the great things they've done with the budget under Mayor Seminary. In this instance, you have Commissioner Tony Gehrig releasing a statement, responding to his critics. I guess you could argue the two situations are a little bit different. What prompted them? Seminaries was just didn't seem to be prompted by anything. It was just sort of a, a propaganda drop. Gehrig, on the other hand, is responding to specific allegations. But frankly, I would prefer that this stuff not be done on the taxpayer's dime, using taxpayer resources, including tax, you know, I'm sure city staff was involved in, in putting this message on the city website and pushing the message out through the, the city of Fargo's uh, various social media platforms. So, yes, I think Garrick's probably guilty of the same thing. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. What do you think? Uh, you you read a lot of press releases, Eric. What do you think? Is this all too ticky-tacky? Um, I think it's political. I, I can't remember. I know Tony Garrig is, because he had the same issue come up when he sent out uh, something on a letterhead before. And I, I can't remember what his response was, but he, well, he the, did the issue it. on the letter, the issue on the letterhead before was that they had sent, he had sent a letter to, it wasn't a campaign to thing. The state. He, they had, yeah. he had sent a letter to the legislature. And yeah. I think it was co-signed by, was it a Bismarck city commissioner or maybe a Burley County? I, I forget. But it was it was signed by another local official. It was it was also signed by another local official from another part of the state, and they, they sent it to the legislature, basically making their argument uh, on a policy question. And I think there was some objection because somebody felt that um, you know Commissioner Garrick using the city of Fargo's letter had made it sound like that was the city of Fargo's position on it. But if, I mean, if you read the letter, his opening paragraph said 
this is not the position. It's, I, right. I, I, I can't remember what it said, but he basically communicated the fact I'm speaking for myself. We are right. we, the people who signed this letter, are speaking for ourselves and not for our respective. And he is a Fargo. And he, he is a Fargo City Commissioner, and he pretty much isolated yeah. the fact that this is what he was going to do or wanting to try. To me, to do. that. To me, that instance is different because it's you have a local official communicating a point of view on a policy question to another level of government. It's not a campaign thing, right? Whereas in this instance, you have Commissioner Garrick, we're in the middle of a, of a hotly contested city commission race, right? And in Bismarck, you have the mayor, who's also up for re-election, another contested race. He's got two opponents. And so... In those contexts, now all of a sudden we're using these press releases and, you know, Garrick brought up the special assessments things as part of his campaign. And then you have a group, the Fargo-Moorhead, West Fargo Chamber of Commerce, criticizing that position. And now he's responding to them through an official city, cha- uh, city channel. Um, it's not great, you know. And, and here, here's, the, here's my problem with this thing. What Mayor Seminary did... What Commissioner Garrick did on their own, I don't, I don't, I don't think a huge issue. I, I think the problem is, once an elected official starts getting comfortable using public resources in a way that's self-serving, I think that's the problem. And I think we've got to be hugely vigilant on this because you go to some other parts of the world, you go to like Chicago, you go to New York, they'll have like local political machines, and those machines will basically use the government apparatus that the elected officials control, city government or whatever as muscle against their opponents. And I don't think we want that. I don't think we want even the beginning of that. You can't even let those seeds get planted. Now, I'm not saying that that was Commissioner Garrick's intent. I'm not saying that was Mayor Seminary's intent. But what I am saying is that their use in both of these instances uh, was inappropriate. And I was only going to talk about Mayor Seminary's, but uh, Linda Boyd, who is also a, a candidate for city commission, emailed me during the break and said, well, what about this with Commissioner Garrick? And you know what? She's got a point. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Let's take a break. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. So I have a little bit of an update, uh, Eric, on that. Uh, I talked about it a little bit yesterday. It got all sorts of news. That obituary out of Minnesota. What did McFeely call it? The obituary that shook the world or something like that? I missed that one, so you'll have to catch me up and maybe with the other people that might have not have heard. Yeah, okay, about. so so the obituary, it was for a woman by the name of Kathleen Demlo. I'll just read the obituary again because it's it's pretty short and sweet. Kathleen Demlo, maiden name Shunk, was born on March 19th, 1938 to Joseph and Gertrude Shunk of Wabaso. She married Dennis Demlo at St. Anne's in Wabaso in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlo, and moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Schunk. She'd passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Oof. Okay. Pretty rough. Um, so a lot of people got a lot of attention uh, the Minnesota paper that ran it, the Redwood Falls Gazette. Now, this is all; these are all communities in, in sort of southwest North Dakota. Uh, the Minnesota newspaper that polled the obituary, uh, they they polled it. Um, the newspaper took it down, and I'm reading now. This is according to uh, reading this report on FoxNews.com. Uh, the obituary 
appeared in the Redwood Falls Gazette on Monday. The newspaper took down the obituary amid an outcry from readers who felt it was in poor taste. That's tough. That is, you know, uh, I, I sort tough. of agree with it. I think if I was in charge of the publication, and I could hear the argument go on the other way. I mean, I guess that this is what this woman's descendants want to say about her. Um, you know, free speech and all that. But it is, I, I don't know. It seemed mean. And I'm, I'm not in a position. I mean, I don't know. And, and by the way, I'm reading, um, according to Fox News, a relative told the Minneapolis Star Tribune that the allegations of the obituary are true, but that there is more to the story. Whatever that means. I mean, I'm just not big on airing dirty laundry like this in public. You know, these are not public figures. These are private individuals. So it gets in and a it, tough spot, though, for the newspaper of what they're going to, yeah. uh, you know, put out there and what they're not. And are they going to start deciding what's tasteful and what's not tasteful? So, I yeah. mean, obviously, I think that's... Well, it's, I think it's tough for the newspapers, too, because they don't want to get... I mean, if they, if they start getting too exacting in their standards... A lot of people don't know obituaries are still big business for newspapers. Um, I mean, the newspaper industry is obviously one that has had it's more than its fair share of challenges over the last several years. Um, obituaries are still sort of a spot where they make they make pretty solid money. Um, so, I mean, they, they crack down too hard. They're cracking down on a big revenue stream. But on the other hand, I, I don't know. I mean, whatever this woman did to her children, and, and trust me, I, we don't. none of us know the whole story. We're not part of their family. We don't know how much hurt is there and how much of it is is warranted or whatever. And even if we did know, we might all have different opinions about it. But I don't know. It just seemed mean. And I'm not, I'm not usually in favor of people just being mean, even, even to people who are mean to them, right? Maybe be better, right? Lift yourself up. Be something better. So anyway... They pulled the obituary, but yeah, at this point, Eric, what good does that even do? It's all over the internet. It's never going away now. So what what good did pulling it do? You know, there was the usual reader outcry, people outraged over it. Oh, pull it. It's in poor taste. Well, I suppose they can just defend off their critics that way by saying it, but you're right. Once it's out there and it's on the interweb, it's gonna be out there forever. So Yeah. Hopefully they did pay I was just going to say, go hopefully, if, if there's that much pain in the family and it, it makes them feel better, I guess, for, you know, trashing her, I guess that's, that's yeah, I guess, something. But The only thing that, I mean, because you also have that famous saying, you never speak ill of the dead. And so I think a big reason why you don't do that is because the dead can't defend themselves anymore, right? I mean, we can't go and ask this. I mean, we, we have one side of the story from this woman's obviously estranged, angry children. But we don't have her side of the story. Yeah, they only know what they've been told. So, I mean, even even I mean, we have in in the court setting, we have legal protections for people. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sort of crime you're accused of. It doesn't matter how how ugly or horrible it is. You could be the worst criminal ever to darken the doorstep of an American courtroom, and you're still allowed a, an opportunity to tell your side of the story if you want to. You're still allowed to do that. Like, you have that right to still do that. The dead don't have that, which is why that proverb, you don't speak ill of the dead, probably, for me, has a lot of truth in it. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Anyway, the obituary is now pulled. But we'll live on forever in um, in Internet lore. Uh, let's see. Dan Eric's, uh, Dan emails, uh, goes, Rob, I would like to know what your stance is on this double suicide, murder suicide that took place in Fargo. 
Uh, what do you think should happen to this 85-year-old man? I'm sorry if you talked about this yesterday. I was unable to listen to your show yesterday. Um, that's the uh, that's the murder-suicide, which, uh, according to what we know now, right, was, was supposed to start out as a double suicide? Yeah, both of the uh, parties had uh, decided that uh, they wanted it to be done. They, they went into a garage, and I believe they were in their vehicle for several hours trying to do carbon monoxide poisoning. It didn't work, so then they decided the male went in, yeah. grabbed a gun, and shot the wife. And uh, now law enforcement's got a pretty tough, uh, sticky wicket on their hands because, again, it's... It's a horrible situation. Yeah, it's... Um, it's I, I wish other countries have dealt with end-of-life situations where people are, yeah. both of them are dealing with See, that's where serious medical go. issues. Yeah. And I know Sweden and some others, I believe, have some ways. You know, if, if you're... I don't know if there's an age requirement, but if you're elderly and you, you've got no chance and you just don't want to sit and suffer, they allow that. But uh, euthanasia yeah. here is still very, it's, very hot it's topic. A, it's, a, it's a struggle. On, on one hand, I, I want to say on the, on the facts of this case specifically, what we have are, is a preliminary report. And so, you know, is, is that a factual accounting? You know, we don't know. I mean, some, obviously something awful has happened here. Um, I think there's still... There's maybe there could be more. Fa- I I don't know that there are more facts that could emerge. I, I you know I would. Yeah, I think I would withhold much... judgment on what's on what's there. Right. Um, just now they I mean, have, because they have to decide how they're going to apply the law. Basically, is, right. is what it is. Should, should this guy be? A, is this guy a murderer because he helped his wife commit suicide? That's assuming that she wanted to commit suicide too. Do we know that for sure? I mean, well, what, what there was facts do there we have was a will that, that uh, was laying on the table and a bill from a lawyer dated June first. I guess I haven't gotten to the uh, specifics of what that had to say in the will, but everything yeah. that I have seen, I have yet to see anything like zero information if that there we, was any if kind we, of struggle. If we accept the facts, if we accept the version that we have at face value before us now, accepting that that. If other facts emerge, that could change. If we accept what we know now, um, I say you take a pass on prosecuting this guy. Um, and, and, and it's that's tough, though. The laws, on, the laws, the laws, on well, here's focus on mental health. Yeah. yeah. Here's the other thing, though. I mean, you got multidimensional here. It's it's you know, it was mutual or consensual, I guess, from that standpoint. But the other thing is, is uh, supposedly the the husband has Parkinson's and I, I don't know to what stage he is at. So, yeah. I will say that we do need to do some deep thinking about end-of-life issues in this country. Uh, and mostly, I don't want to create a situation where people are offing themselves just because they're depressed. I think those people need help. They need to get over a, a, a lump. I do think, though, that people who are at the end of their lives, people who are perhaps terminally ill, maybe this option should be available to them so they don't have to try some do-it-yourself remedy. Anyway, awful, awful situation. And maybe we'll talk about it more on a future show. Uh, coming up next, Cameron Easley from Morning Consult. We're going to talk about this polling in the U.S. Senate race. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. So we teased this a little bit earlier in the show, but we're going to talk about it now. This uh, Morning Consult poll, uh, which uh, Morning Consult col- poll has been polling this consistently. Uh, and I've been tracking it going all the way back to July 2017 when Senator Heidi Heitkamp had a, according to this poll, had a 60% approval rating in the state, disapproval below 30%. Um, that trend has uh, not been good from that point on, has not been good for the senator. Her approval number has declined steadily. Her disapproved number has climbed steadily. And she's in a tough reelection fight here in North Dakota. I, this doesn't pretend good things, but of course... 
One poll is one poll, although this is a poll, this is consistent. I mean, this is a trend line. Anyway, here to talk with us about it is Cameron Easley. He is a senior reporter for Morning Consult. Cameron, how are you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Well, first of all, I mean, your your poll, again, as, as I just described, uh, that number declining. I mean, that approval number, she was at 60% approval uh, July 2017. Uh, you were doing a quarterly poll. Now in your most recent poll, uh, she's at 44% approval, 45% disapproval. That's a that's a terrible trend for an incumbent. It is. Uh, and one thing uh, I think that, that's important to note is that most of that movement um, in, in the wrong direction from her, it, it comes specifically among Republican voters. Um, so back back in, in in that first data set that you're that you're referring to, uh, about 60% of Republicans uh, approved of. Of Senator Heitkamp's work in office. Uh, fast forward to to our latest data, and that that number is just about 35, whereas uh, a healthy majority, 55 percent, disapprove of her work in office. Um, so it's it's pretty pretty obvious that a lot of the Republican messaging um, since since the beginning of, of 2017 uh, has has been effective in, in in knocking down her numbers, specifically among the base. I think what gives your polling numbers a lot of credibility, because what you just said there is where you have, um, like you said, a, a lot of what gave Senator, you don't get a 60% approval rating in North Dakota without having a lot of Republicans approving of you. You just don't. That's right. You don't win elections in North Dakota without having a lot of Republicans voting for you. That's just, it's a Republican state. That's just the way it is. Um, and so I, I think what you're saying, Republicans have shifted. And I think if you look at the way, I, I think the senator believes that as well. And I, I, I imagine she has internal polling numbers showing the same thing. Because if you look at her campaign messaging, she's out. She's got a radio ad out bragging about how often she votes with President Trump. She's got a television ad out uh, that, that's quoting Republican senators praising her. Um, she's got her state party bragging that she got to stand closer to Donald Trump at, at, a, at a big banking deregulation bill signing. Uh, she got to stand closer to the president than her opponent, Congressman Kevin Kramer, did. That, to me, tells me what exactly what your poll is showing, that her her support is diminishing among North Dakota Republicans. She's now trying to report, you know, tout her appeal to Republicans to get some of that back. That makes perfect sense to me and, and to me is, you know, fits your poll exactly. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think the other like the other interest, the other side of this to look at that I think will be very, very key in, in determining how this race shakes out and how a, a lot of these races, um, obviously there are quite a few uh, Senate Democrats up for re-election in Trump won states, is, is how the president's own popularity in, in each of these states um, will uh Will be a factor uh, when, in the midterm elections, which you know are, are typically a referendum on the party in power uh, and and the, the party of, that's in the White House. Um, so if you look at those numbers for Trump, uh, so so high camp is, is one point underwater on the whole with the electorate. That's that's actually even better than, than the president's numbers with the, with the North Dakota direct electorate. He's he's four points underwater. Now on the other hand, uh, he's still quite strong with Republicans, 62 percent. Um, so so that's going to be an issue for her. But, you know, I guess really the question in North Dakota and really the question in, in who's going to end up controlling the Senate from, from the results of all these races is, is the strength of, of, the, of the president's base versus uh, the, the strength of the opposition um, from, from, the, from, from Democrats, as well as what, what swing voters, independents, uh, what, what, what they're thinking as well. 
No, I again, I, I look at the trend line in your poll. And by the way, if you want to join in, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Talking with Cameron Easley, senior reporter from Morning Consult, uh, who's polling. I wrote about it, sayanythingblog.com today if you want to check it out. I got the links to all their methodology and everything else if you if you want to see it. Um, I'm looking at this trend line for Senator Heitkamp. Again, 60% approval in July 2017, down to 44% approve uh, in, in May. Uh, while her her disapprove has gone from less than thirty percent up to forty five percent, is that? I mean, we're talking North Dakota trend compared to senators in in other races. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, my, my question is, is, is we have Senator Heitkamp's uh, we have Senator Heitkamp's polling numbers uh, that that you know we have that trend line. How does that compare to the polling in other states? Well, I think what you've seen uh, in 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 all, many of these states where uh, Senate Democrats are, are defending their incumbents. Is, is that numbers have come down across the board. Um, I don't think that's, that's not, particularly, uh, not particularly unique in any, in any election cycle. Uh, incumbents are, are going to be facing a lot of attacks from outside groups and, and from the, the Republican Party apparatus itself. Uh, the question is, you know, how, how, bad, how bad does it get? Uh, and, and really, I mean, does, is that going to... Is that going to – how do you balance that with the popularity of the president? I think that's the key question of, of the midterms. Uh, is, is President Trump – is he popular enough in these states um, that he can effectively use the bully pulpit uh, to, to delegitimize these, these yeah. Democratic senators? Now, that was one interesting thing, because like you just you just alluded to, is President Trump's numbers have actually declined. As a matter of fact, Senator Heitkamp, according to your poll, is more popular than President Trump – in North Dakota. Now, the problem is, is again, I, I look at poll numbers and then I look at how the politicians actually behave. And again, I see Senator Heitkamp. She's bragging about how often she votes with President Trump, our Democratic U.S. House candidate. Got him quoted in a newspaper yesterday saying, I'm not campaigning against Donald Trump. Uh, you know, we have I mean, we, we have a lot of reticence by Democrats in North Dakota to criticize Donald Trump this election cycle. Last election cycle, they were calling him vile and unfit for office. This election cycle, uh, all of a sudden it's it's, you know, Senator Heitkamp's like, look at how often I vote for Donald Trump. That's quite the turnaround, which we can maybe talk about it in, a, in another time. Uh, but I, I, I guess I, I think it's interesting. But but your poll showing it down. I mean, I look at Senator Heitkamp. The Democrats must believe that he's still pretty popular in North Dakota, because I think if they felt like he was unpopular, that they would be attacking him or, or, or at least be more in line with with their national party's stance on President Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the interesting aspects of, of the Democratic messaging is, is looking is looking at 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 what, what a lot of, uh, of, of the more uh, safely uh, democratic states, you know, obviously their, their rhetoric is, uh, is a little bit more, more amped up, more, more critical of the president. It seems like the playbook for Senate Democrats uh, writ large this cycle is to, you know, show a willingness to or try, try to make the case that they're willing to work with the president. And then, you know, whenever, if, if his numbers go down, like that, that's something that, I'm sure that privately they're they're gleeful about, but they're it's it's they're still uh, loath to be too critical because they don't want to turn off you know independents who may have who may have good feelings about the president and you know I think in some cases they probably think that they can that they can get some crossover voters from Republicans as well. The other the other result for for Senator Heitkamp, which obviously we're talking about specifically because Senator Heitkamp's in our state. The other result I saw was very interesting was. 
Just 36% saying that the senator deserves re-election. 50% say it's time for a new person. I, I can't imagine any incumbent on the face of the earth wants to have that sort of polling number public. Uh, you know, I, I think that's right. But another thing I think that these numbers show uh, is that is that you can see that even if a, even if a senator has uh, a, a pretty decent approval rating, um, they're – on, on the other question that you just mentioned, the numbers tend to look much worse, uh, which tells me that, you know, generally Americans in this country, there's, there's something of an incumbency fatigue. Uh, like even if they're, they, they, think, they think their senator's yeah. doing, doing a good job, you know, they think there's, a, there's an issue with, uh, with, with people, you know, getting elected in the office, spending too much time in Washington and, and you know, working, working to – to, to help you know their lobbyists or, or the special interests that are that are making uh, advocacy campaigns toward them, versus you know the voters back home in their districts. So I think this is this is something that that any of the federally elected politicians are having to deal with. Um, I don't think that's. I mean, we just saw that play out on a huge scale in the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, Hillary Clinton. You can't get much more political legacy than that. Uh, clearly, that that had a huge huge impact on on in voters decisions now it's it's interesting north dakota 28 percent you you you'd asked a generic ballot question and, and basically you know which candidate would you prefer in an election republican candidate democratic candidate 28 percent say they prefer the uh, democrat 41 percent say the republican candidate I don't. I don't think that that's. I don't think that that's surprising for North Dakota. I think Democrat. I think Democratic Party affiliation in North Dakota in this era is a is a liability. Uh, something that that has to be overcome. We know Senator Heitkamp can overcome it because she overcame it in 2012. Uh, and also, I, I think the other caveat we got to make is when you're you're asking a question about Senator Heitkamp, does she deserve reelection? Thirty six percent saying that she does. Fifty percent saying that she doesn't. Not mentioned in that question is her opponent, which. You know, we started out talking about how her how her her approval rating has declined. A lot of that probably has to do is we're coming into the election cycle. You know, her 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 political opponents are starting to engage in negative messaging about her. That's going to have an impact on her approval. And clearly, if, if that's the factor, it's been very effective. But missing from that is the fact that on the ballot, there's going to be a choice. It's going to be Heidi Heitkamp or Kevin Kramer. And so, how much? I mean, if you included Kevin Kramer, if it wasn't a question about whether or not Heidi Heitkamp deserves reelection, it's whether a question of whether or not you you want to vote for Heidi Heitkamp or Kevin Kramer? That's going to change all these numbers, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and as you can see from that from that generic ballot tally in, in North Dakota, that's you know twenty eight percent for the Democrat, forty one percent for the Republican. That's still about you know thirty percent of the vote worth out there. Um, and what we've seen in in pretty much all of these states is that a, a majority of independents remain undecided. Uh, at, at, at this point, you really don't see, you know, we're going to see people start paying a lot more attention to this. Probably, you know, you know, up here, uh, campaign officials uh, and, and operatives, you know, they say that the election really, it starts in September. Um, so I, I guess really a, a key part in, in swinging what's going to happen in this race uh, will be, you know, who does a better job appealing to those, those independent voters, those swing voters who, who may who may not uh, prefer one, one party over the other. Is it, is it Kramer or is it Heitkamp? I don't know how this race is going to uh, – how these races – because, again, your your poll focuses on a lot of sort of battleground races in, in the Senate. Um, I don't know how it's going to play out in other states. I think in North Dakota it's going to become very, very personal. 
and I think there's going to be an effort. I don't I don't think the party affiliation is something that's a, that's a benefit to Senator Heitkamp. I think she can only go so far in, in aligning herself with President Trump before it starts starts to look a little ridiculous for a Democrat to be doing that. I think they're going to make it very personal, and I think it's going to become very personal between Kevin Kramer and Heidi Heitkamp to the point where I'm not sure, and this is just me making a prediction, I'm not sure how much this race is going to be based on national trends or anything like that. We've got two political titans in North Dakota who are squaring off. I think this is going to be about personalities more than anything else at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly – I mean, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of these – in these cycles, you, you see you see a national movement. But, you know, that that's a little bit more insulated on the Senate side where it's really more about retail politicking, your brand in your own state, uh, what you've secured for your constituents. Um, and so that'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that how that how that goes going forward and, and what kind of arguments uh, uh, Representative Kramer continues to make because I mean obviously so far he's he's leaned very hard uh, in, in, into full throated backing for the president. Yeah, and frankly at this point, so is Senator Heitkamp. So it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be fun to watch as these things always are, Cameron. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. Have a good one. Cameron Easley for Morning Consult. This is the Rob Report, 970 AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report, 970 AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Just finished up with Cameron Easley. Uh, he is a senior reporter for Morning Consult. They had their polling out uh, in, in the U.S. Senate race. and I mean, that, that is the one caveat. I mean, there's no question that Senator Heitkamp's approval numbers have, have tanked, at least according to this poll. The one caveat there is is that might not mean a lot if the choice is between her and Kevin Kramer. I mean, the, the, the question voters are going to face at the ballot box is not, do you like Senator Heitkamp or do you approve of the job she's doing? The question is going to be, who do you want to be U.S. Senator, Heidi Heitkamp or Kevin Kramer? That's the question. That's a different dynamic. Still, if you have a saying 50% of respondents say it's time for somebody else, only like, what, what was it, 36% or something? 36% saying that, that the senator deserves re-election. That's not a good place to be if you're an incumbent. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. You can tweet me, too, at Rob Port. Uh, got a couple of emails about some of our early topics. I was talking a little bit about this this Bismarck mayor, Mike Seminary, uh, who you know, about a week before Election Day is already sending out uh, all, all of a sudden, sending out a, a directed city staff to send out a, a press release um, praising himself for his work on the city's budget things. He claims it was just an advance of the city's upcoming budget process. But, hey, he's also on the ballot next week. Uh, Linda Boyd, who is a Fargo City Commission candidate, pointed out that uh, Tony Tony Garrick has, has uh, responded to some criticism of his campaign proposals uh, in the same way through an official channel i don't think any of those candidates should be doing that kurt emails rob listening to linda boyd's comments bother me when she was a commissioner she was part of the specials problem and didn't try to have it changed however when tony garrick brought it up and it gained big attention now she wants to work on specials that is an opportunist move i don't disagree kurt and, and i think a lot of the candidates in that race all of a sudden they've glommed on to the specials issue well that's tony garrick's issue tony garrick brought that up the reason everybody in that race is talking about special assessments is because Tony Garrick identified an issue that resonated with voters. And now all of a sudden, yeah, they're all piling on Tony for his plan and coming out with their own plans. And it's it's all a little bit hypocritical. But 
you know, that's that's a separate issue from whether or not Tony Garrig appropriately used city resources in responding to the Fargo, uh, Fargo-Moorhead, West Fargo Chamber of Commerce when they were criticizing his specials plan. That should have come from his campaign, not the city of Fargo, uh, official release from the city of Fargo, uh, just as Mayor Mike Seminary in Bismarck shouldn't be sending out a press release praising himself for his work on his budget um, through official city channels. I, that just To me, that's a separate issue. Joe emails, and at, at the end of the last hour, a caller, or excuse me, an emailer asked what I thought of that um, that story about the the man and wife, where uh, just just an awful, awful story. Um, according to, to what we know now, understanding that you know facts may change and the story may change, but, but what I, I guess what the story is at this point is they were trying to kill themselves in their garage. They were running the car and were going to try to do it with with carbon monoxide. Um, didn't work, at which point the husband, uh, who had allegedly been, uh, apparently been diagnosed with, with Parkinson's, uh, and uh, I guess they'd also visited an attorney and had, had done like some end-of-life planning before this, shortly before this. Uh, he went and got a gun, shot his wife in the chest, shot himself in the chest, uh, but he survived and is now in the hospital, and now there's the question of, of what he should be charged with criminally, if anything, uh, Joe emails, says, Rob, end-of-life discussions are near impossible here because conservatives fear the slippery slope. In Iceland, they announced they successfully terminated over 95% of pregnancies with Down's babies last year. In Sweden, they now add qualifiers like age, health, and cost for expensive surgeries that extend life that are routinely performed here. I don't like a civil discussion on these issues. I don't think a civil discussion uh, on these issues of these issues is possible in our current political environment. Well, I don't know, Joe, what – I mean, I, it, it's funny that you call for a civil discussion while bashing conservatives. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Iceland, they successfully terminated – I don't even know if that's right. But I don't know what, what terminating Down syndrome is. I think end-of-life issue what, – what I struggle with – I mean, because here's, here's the thing. I generally think people – like, if you're sick, if you're elderly – you just don't think your life's going to get better and you're just tired of it. Um, I'm comfortable with saying people like that can choose how they want to leave. You know, go their own way. You know, have some dignity at the end and, and just decide, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to go on. Now, what struggles for me is what sort of parameters are we going to put around that? And this is what I struggle with because now what if we're talking about somebody who's 27 and is not 20, terminally ill but is just depressed? Maybe they've got a lot of maybe they've got a lot of debt. Maybe they're divorced. Maybe they feel like they're just not happy with their life. Maybe they feel like their life is never going to improve. Do we allow somebody like that to end their lives? You know, I mean, if we if we just make that easy for them, then where's the impetus for them to strive to get better? I, I mean, people like that. There are a lot of people who get depressed. There are a lot of people who try to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who think about suicide. And they get past that. They work past that. And so what I worry about is if is if you make that apparatus for ending your life on your own terms. I mean, I, I like the idea of that for people who are sick, maybe people who are elderly, people who are in a position where, uh, you know, we can all acknowledge your life's not going to get better. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. What makes me uncomfortable with what protections are we going to have so that it's, it's not just people who are just depressed, who might actually have an opportunity. Because I, I tell you, the thing about depressed people, they don't think, the reason why they're depressed is they don't think that their life's going to improve. I mean, that's, that's kind of part of being depressed. 
And the message for those depressed people is not, oh, well, here's a way you, where you can end it. The message for them is it's, it's going to get better. It can get better. It will get better. And so you just got to keep trying. I mean, that that to me is, is that's what I struggle with. I don't know. So I'm, I'm open to policies allowing for, I hate calling it euthanasia. I just, I, that term creeps me out in its connotations. But I'm not, I'm not against policies that would allow people in certain situations to make a decision for themselves about how they want to go out. I'm not against those sorts of policies. I would need to see the policy to understand what it is. Um, generally speaking, though, if you're thinking about ending it, 99.9% of the time, just don't. It will get better. More to come straight ahead here on the Rob Report. Uh, Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to be on the program next. Uh, he's going to join me, and you can call and ask him whatever you want. It's your time. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, should hopefully be joined. Uh, ben, you'll let me know when we have the. Yes, I will let you know when Congressman Kramer is on. All right. Yeah, he should be calling in here momentarily. Sometimes a little late because they're busy off in Washington, D.C. And also like, the timing of our commercial breaks varies a little bit. So little I think bit. sometimes he uh, mm-hmm. he cuts it a little close. But but for now, if you want to uh, if you want to call in and get your questions ready, we've got uh, we got some callers holding already for the congressman. 701-293-9000. 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, if you're a Twitter user, you can also tweet me at Rob Port. Uh, and there's, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, you know, in the Senate race politically. There's a lot of stuff going on off in Washington, D.C. Uh, and so this is your opportunity with the congressman. If you want to call him, you want to get in on that, uh, you could certainly do that. Um, and hopefully the uh, congressman will be calling in here uh, momentarily. So... And like I said, we were talking earlier in, in the uh, in the segment too, a little bit about some of these polling numbers in the Senate race. Like to get the uh, like to get Congressman Kramer's uh, answer to that. I also want to ask him about you know the thinking behind it is his television ad, uh, where he comes out and he says, uh, "Oh well, will everybody, um, uh, you know, will, will, will everybody, um, you know, he, he says everybody likes Heidi. That's what he said in his last television ad. Well, if uh, you know, a, a lot of Republicans I've heard." have uh, have come out and uh, been a little bit critical of that so that's uh, that's kind of interesting as well also just seeing some uh, some breaking news here from uh, mediaite uh democratic senator joe manchin now joe manchin he's a uh, he's democrat he's from a, a pro-trump state he's a democrat from west virginia uh sort of in the same position as uh, senator heidi heitkamp is a lot of the time when it comes to uh you know where he's at politically uh now this is from mediaite and he says he's open to supporting president donald trump for president in 2020. Now, Manchin is up for re-election this cycle. He, like Senator Heitkamp, has, has worked to align himself very closely with President Donald Trump. Now, this is what media is reporting. They're saying, I quote, Joe Manchin is an anomaly in the U.S. Senate. The West Virginia politician is known for being a centrist Democrat in a state uh, President Donald Trump won by a landslide and has done what few others in his party have, teamed up with Trump on multiple occasions. Now, according to a new profile, Manchin's position on the president might evolve into complete endorsement down the line. Uh, he says, I'm, quote, I'm open to supporting the person I think is best for my country and my state. Uh, this is what he told to Politico. Uh, when- 
telling uh, a major media organization that he's not necessarily against endorsing President Trump for president in 2020. Now, that's interesting because we, we flip the gear and, and we start talking about, uh, you know, what's going on with Senator Heitkamp here in North Dakota. Um, and I, I'm just being informed by uh, Ben here. Congressman Kramer is trying to call in. This is our open phone segment with the congressman. We're having some phone issues at the studio. So the congressman is trying to call in, and we're trying to get him on the line. Uh, certainly, as soon as we do, we'll bring him to you. Um, what's interesting is here in North Dakota, you have, again, and I've been beating on this because I think it's just, I think it's just remarkable. I think it's just amazing that this is happening. In the 2016 election cycle, you have North Dakota Democrats saying that President Trump is vile. You have them saying that he's unfit for elected office. And now you flip, you, you, know, you flip the script in, in, in 2018, all of a sudden, Democratic senators like Joe Manchin, Democratic senators like Heidi Heitkamp, they want to get reelected in a pro-Trump state. And so what are they doing? But they're snuggling up to President Trump. And again, and I, I realize I have been beating this to death. I, I know it. I know that I have. But I think it's just, I think it's hilarious. Democrats in 2016 thought President Trump was vile. They thought he was unfit for office. 2018, they're tweeting out videos making fun of Kevin Kramer because Heidi Heitkamp got to stand closer to Trump than he did at a bill signing uh, bill signing uh, ceremony. That's what's going on. So you have, and we have the congressman on now, uh, and, and so we'll bring him on, and, and hopefully we, we, I don't know if we, do we still have some of the calls, Ben, as well, or did we lose those? Uh, we have one caller lined up right now. Okay, we'll get we'll get to the caller, John, here in just a moment. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Congressman, th- uh, sorry for the uh, phone problems, and I just no some breaking news right now. I, I think it's kind of funny. I, I, I think it's kind of funny because in terms of your race, you have, you know, Senator Heidi Heitkamp's all of a sudden Donald Trump's best friend. You have the North Dakota Democratic Party out there. Uh, you know, all of a sudden they, they, they think, you know, Donald Trump's great. 2016, they thought he was vile. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. Senator Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin announcing today he's not ruling out endorsing Donald Trump in 2020. I, I read that this morning and, and uh, thought, well, you know, the world's upside down. It truly is. But that's the, you know, that's politics. It's an interesting thing, Rob. You know, we can sort of poke fun at it and we can have, you know, even complain about it, stress out about it. But the reality is, the, the irony is when the, when the uh, founders created six-year terms for senators, they sort of created this scenario where you have five years of luxury and one year of having to act like, you know, you work for the people that elect you. And that's sort of become the rich tradition of the Senate, particularly since the 17th Amendment passed, where the people elect the senators rather than the legislature. And that, that tether of accountability was removed with the passage of the 17th Amendment to the Constitution. So it's just that you'd never see it played out quite as dramatically as it has been with Joe Manchin, obviously. Well, I, I think your opponent as well, Senator Heitkamp, I, I mean, again, and we talked about this a little bit last week, the North Dakota Democratic Party is literally tweeting. They're making fun of you because she got to stand closer to Trump than you did at a bill signing contest. <laughs> Which contest. was a very I, awkward I mean, uh, positioning uh, for ceremony. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. All right, let's get to the calls. We have a caller on the line, uh, John. Go ahead, John. You're on with the congressman. What's up? Good afternoon, congressman. Uh, hi, John. I'll give you credit where credit's due because you'll, you'll actually answer a hardball question unlike your opponent. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best, John. Well, and, 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 and I respect that, Kevin. I don't expect a, a, a perfect answer or a 100% answer. 
But the thing that's annoying me right now, you know, with the Russia investigation, with the mm-hmm. FBI's ability to investigate the Stormy Daniels situation, you know, and all the finger pointing that goes on with that, and then Betsy DeVos getting called on the carpet yesterday about the school safety issue when they don't want to involve, you know, talking about, you know, gun violence. I'm curious, now, nearly four months after the Parkland shooting, and, you know, the uh, shooting down in Texas and the shooting right. in South Carolina where all the balls were dropped in the system yep. to include the FBI. Is Congress going to start on one side or the other maybe starting to look at the FBI and their investigations and, and, and what they're failing to do to uphold the laws of this country? Well, yeah, I appreciate, John. Very good point, and you actually have your history down quite well because all of the shootings that you referred to were all situations where had the law enforcement officials not only at the federal level, but in many cases even the state and local level, had they been doing what the law already requires them to do through the, you know, the, the NICS system, um, red flags would have gone up, and the people that did the shooting would have been, you know, would have been prevented from having a gun because rightfully so, they shouldn't have had one. But none of those red flags went up, or at least if they did. They were ignored. In the, in the case, in the one case, Parkland, I guess it was, it was the FBI itself that failed to follow through on uh, on red flags. So, yet to answer your question, yes. Now we did pass legislation since then that fixes the next system that provides more incentives as well as some, um, you know, well, pr- let's just say provides the right incentives for state and local and federal law enforcement agencies to enforce the laws as they exist. And I, I believe we should have combined that, like we did in the House, with a concealed carry reciprocity so that you have, uh, you know, you have people's constitutional rights to carry um, protected state to state. But we did that in the House. The Senate wouldn't, and the president urged us to take it out. So we did do the fix next. Now, with your, I want to get back to your fundamental point. As you know, there's a lot of frustration right now with the FBI and the Justice Department over the delay in revealing or releasing this Inspector General's report that is, was evidently very critical of the FBI's handling of the Hillary Clinton illegal email and illegal server investigation. And there's, it took them a year and a half to do the do, to do the investigation. Now it's been sitting around for two weeks while other people get to look at it. And so that's our greatest frustration right now with all of them. But yes, Congress is doing its oversight duty, and we've been doing it pretty aggressively when it comes to the Department of Justice. But I will tell you, I've, you know, I don't think it's any big shocker that I've not been real crazy for our current attorney general. I think he's, I think the agency runs him instead of him running the agency. I think he was, became paralyzed when he announced that he was going to recuse himself from the Mueller investigation and the, and the uh, Russian probe. And consequently, he, he doesn't seem to be in charge of the entire agency. So, um, you know, I think some people are right to be concerned about the leadership at the top of the agency. Got a couple more calls, and we got to go. We got to go pretty quick because we're we're we sure. started a little bit late. But uh, let's go. We have another John. John, you're on with the congressman. Go ahead. Uh, is this me? It's not. It's not John. But I'll go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. Oh. It is. You're on, John. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Friday before Memorial Day, uh, conveniently, the forum had an article about the finance bill that passed the Senate. I believe Heidi Heitkamp was probably an author of one of the co-sponsors, and and it had in there where three out of the four Democrat Democrats they needed to vote for it were her and two others, and and they all accepted over a hundred thousand dollar donations to their campaign. Is that normal procedure for everybody, or is that? Do you I know? guess I, yeah. I, I let me just take a, a stab at it because I you're probably talking about is that there was a regulatory rollback bill is, is 
they took a number of House bills, made one Senate bill out of it. It was a pretty modest rollback of some of the Dodd-Frank, um, you know, regulations. And she was a co-sponsor. She did not. She didn't introduce the bill or anything like that. But she became a co-sponsor of it. And now you asked about contributions. I I can't speak to whether or not it was a quid pro quo. In other words, you know, you co-sponsor this, and you know, we'll support your campaign, or you co-sponsor this, we'll give you money. My guess is that you know, throughout the course of you know the last several months or so, with her up for re-election, perhaps. Um, you know, they talked to her staff and had a sense of comfort that she would support this legislation. They wanted to encourage her. I'm, I'm careful not to draw direct lines between actions of a member of Congress and the contributions, because most of the time, you know, member contributions are an expression of your political philosophy and, and who you support. Maybe the contributions didn't inspire her so much to vote that way as her vote you know, inspired the contribution. So I want to be fair to everybody in, in it and just not presume there was a, a quid pro quo there. Um, you know, obviously I get money from people that are more conservative or more pro-business than, you know, than, than aren't. And so it's not because I do what they want me to do. It just is because I agree with their philosophy and I, um, you know, and I vote accordingly. Does that makes sense. Just a couple of minutes left. We have a sure. caller, Jackie. Yeah, we have a caller, Jackie. Go ahead, Jackie. You're on. Hey, Jackie. Hi. Um, I watched coverage of the bill signing today, and I heard okay. the president go out of his way to thank um, Congressman McSally, Congresswoman yeah. McSally from Arizona, but sure. he barely mentioned you. And I just wanted to know, why isn't the White House giving you credit for the veterans bill? Well, I'm, I guess I was there. I think she mentioned Martha. She's a member of the um, Veterans Committee. She's a member of the House Armed Services Committee. She is a veteran herself. Um, there were a whole bunch of us there, and we were all, I think he pretty much introduced all of us. Um, I didn't notice any members of Congress, either House or Senate, that weren't introduced. Um, but I guess I'm not really sure. I guess I don't go to those things to get um, attention or accolades. I go there to celebrate uh, the signing of a really good bill. Uh, this VA mission bill that he signed into law today was an excellent bill. It was really the bring, coming together of three different bills, including VA Choice. And it was really an extension, even an expansion of VA Choice and uh, a uh, sort of a gradual increase in caregiver coverage for, for our veterans. Uh, it, was really, it was a good day. It was a fun day to be there. A lot of, you know, a lot of members, bipartisan, a lot of the veterans groups, in fact, all of the veterans organizations were there. They were very instrumental in helping pass the bill. And, I mean, I'm always honored to, to be at the White House and always honored to be with the president and the vice president and my colleagues when we get to celebrate a, an accomplishment as important as a VA Mission Act. But I guess I wasn't, other than that, I, I guess I didn't really notice much else uh, other than the president signing the bill and, and making some comments in support of our veterans. Jackie, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Congressman, we're out of time. Always a pleasure. Sorry about the, the phone thing again, Rob, but it, we'll, we'll, I've got the numbers down. We just need to make it all yeah. work. All right, man. I, I, think, I think the phone issues might have been on, uh, on our end a little bit. Uh, Congressman, <laughs> thanks for your time. Appreciate yeah, it. More to come straight ahead. We'll wrap Bye-bye. the show up after this. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Robert Four Nine Seventy WDY AM ninety three point one FM seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Ah, oh, let's see. Interesting. What an interesting political time 
Ben, mm-hmm. after what we went through in 2016, did you think in 2018 we'd be having we'd be having Senator Heitkamp bragging about how often she votes with Donald Trump? You got Senator Manchin saying uh, he might even consider President uh, endorsing President Trump for president in 2020. No, that I mean, it's talk about being strange. through the look, looking glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, given given the the the, the reaction from Democrats to, to President Trump, the the vitriol. Um, the, the criticism, the hatred. I mean, you had people literally bawling at oh, yeah. at like uh, at election watch parties. I mean, they thought Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. They were literally crying mm-hmm. on election night, and now they turn around and you have you have the North Dakota Democratic Party outbreak. Oh, our candidate is our candidate. Our candidate loves President Trump. I mean, even that caller during the last segment calling in, I kind of felt like maybe her point. You know, is there Rob? Yeah, I'm I'm here. Yes. Okay, we had a bit of a cutout there. Yeah, even 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 in that situation, you have you know President Trump. You know, uh, the narrative seems to be, uh, oh, President Trump doesn't like Congressman Kramer that much. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it just I think it just illustrates how absolutely mercenary politics are. Like it, it there's there's no there's no principles, right? I mean, if if Democrats were principled. Um, they wouldn't be all of a sudden trying to define themselves in terms of Trump, you know, when it, when it behooves them to do so, you know, and especially, I mean, given that, I mean, their national party is still literally suing the Trump campaign for over, over, over the, the supposed Russian meddling. I mean, that's still going on at the national level, right? Right. I mean, the, the official position of the democratic party at the national level is still, we hate Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. but here locally, because Senator Heitkamp needs to thread the needle in an election year in a red state, not just Senator Heitkamp, but also uh, U.S. House candidate Max Schneider. All of a sudden, it's, it's you know, we're going to back off what we previously said about President Trump. I mean, you can't, when you call the man vile, mm-hmm. there, when a, you say that he's unfit for office, how do you walk that stuff back? There's a fine line between, uh, you know, trying to show that you can be bipartisan, work across party lines, and just pandering to the other side to try and get their vote. Yeah. You know, I, I think I think Senator Heitkamp wants to define this mm-hmm. as bipartisanship, right? That's that's right. oh look, I'll work with the other side. I'll reach across the aisle. Which but I mean there's there's bipartisanship. Mind, but... Like I'll work oh yeah. I it is it is a good thing. I mean generally mm-hmm. working across the party line, generally that's a good thing. The problem is on on the other side of the the, the coin there comes a point where it's just hypocrisy, where it's just mm-hmm. cynicism, yep. where it's just I'm going to say or do whatever it is to get elected. And I, I think that's going to be the problem for Senator Heitkamp is, is she's she's crossing that Rubicon, right? I think she's going too far. I mean, she had the Koch brothers out running, you know, thanking her for her vote on banking deregulation for crying out loud. Um, you know, so there's going to be a point where it's just it's just a bridge too far. How can you, with a political party that has a very specific position, and then all of a sudden you turn your back on that position, I, that's got to be called out. All right, that's it for me. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.